Well, it's a thrill to be at worship with you this morning. I want to call your attention to uh, one, one announcement that uh, uh, links itself together with this banner that's been flying up here since the first of the year. As many of you know that are part of this church, or if you're gathering uh, with us as visitors, I want to share with you that we're celebrating our 175th year as a congregation that worships and does mission uh, in the name of Almighty God to our community. And so to uh, celebrate this, and this is the crowning jewel of our year-long celebration, uh, on November 15th, uh, Bishop Julius Calvin Trimble is coming here to preach. Uh, That's three weeks uh, from today. So I want you to put these little, uh, I'm going to call them tan-colored sheets, uh, in your your home or put them on your, uh, your refrigerator so you'll know that this is a big deal coming. And uh, just so you know, time-wise, we're making it uncomfortable for everybody. So we're not having a 745, 830, or 11 services that day. We're having two services, one at nine o'clock, which will feature uh, our traditional uh, elements in, like, like we sing in here with the, with the choir, the organ, the bell choirs, and our, nine, or our 10 at 30 service will be featuring the modern uh, worship styles that they use at those times at our later services. A number of uh, pastors that have either risen up out of this congregation or have served here previously uh, will be here that day to uh, lead part of the worship along with uh, Bishop Trimble. On the back, you'll see a few frequently asked questions, and the ones I really want to focus on today and for you to share are the ones at the very top. I want to make a special call to our young families and say that that day is a day uh, that we celebrate and make it, we pray, um, uh, easy for you to come that day. Um, we will have not have Sunday school that particular morning, and we will have Kids View at the 1030 service. So we're certainly encouraging our young families uh, to come at that 1030 service so that they will be able to take um, uh, part in that ministry. And of course, as always, child care in our nursery will be available through the morning. And of course, we'll have donuts and stuff, so we hope you'll come. Uh, to all that. So um, do take that home. That's three weeks from today, um, the culmination of our uh, 175th year. You can see some of the other things that will be uh, going on that day. As for today, the reason that we're able to celebrate 175 years is that from this pulpit or others like it in the different buildings that have been our home, The eternal gospel of Jesus Christ has been taught and preached. And because of the power of it, we have been able to uh, enthusiastically move on even to this day. Pastor Keith is going to come in just a moment and teach you from John chapter 12, verses 20 through 50. Now that's several paragraphs, so I encourage you to to put your will into reading along with me. Uh, Focus your attention on what the words that God has for you today. Uh, For they are His and they're for you. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to the worship to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies... It remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. 
And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of the light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they would still not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of the prophet Isaiah. Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord revealed? For this reason they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. Because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear, but they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in, does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seen the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in the darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that per- person, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day, for I did not speak on my own. But the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. May God add his blessing on our reading and also our understanding of this word. Uh, Will you go with me to the Lord's? Oh, Father, you grant us so many things in every single day. And in the scriptures, you grant us a vision of who you are through the window we know is Jesus. And for that, Lord, we pray and we honor you. And we just a few moments ago, Lord, sang, Jesus, Savior, pilot me. Which, of course, Lord, is the call of this very moment. To allow the Lord Jesus to become the one who masters our life and leads us in this and every single moment. Lord, empower Keith as he comes to speak that very truth to this very people. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. A lot of verses there today. And, uh, you know, as we move into John's Gospel, 
continue to go through it, we see some weeks we're going to take just a few verses and go through them. Other weeks there's you know large chunks, and today is one of those large chunks. And the reason why that we chose to keep this section together is because really this is kind of the culmination of, of Jesus' ministry to this point. And now he's arrived at the center of everything, really, which was Jerusalem. And last week, Pastor Mike talked about it. You know, it's Palm Sunday is what was being celebrated. Jesus enters into town. His fame had been growing, not only among the Jews, but now also among the Greeks. So people who weren't even really in the same world of Jesus were now saying, hey, show us who Jesus is. We want to hear about him. People were starting to... uh pay a lot of attention. I mean, he, after all, he did raise a man named Lazarus from the dead. And, and because of this, people are, are, are pretty excited to see what he's going to do. He's come into the middle of the culture in Jerusalem in the Passover, and the Pharisees were more and more enraged by him. And now he comes, and the crowd cheers. They want to know what's going on. And this idea of, could Jesus possibly be the Messiah is, 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 is just on everybody's mind. Now, the Messiah was the one who was prophesied to, to institute this new kingdom on, on the, in the world and would liberate the Jews from their Roman oppressors and restore them back to a place of prominence in the world. So, people are looking for a leader. They're hungry for change. They want to know, is this Messiah among us? Is Jesus the one that we've been waiting for? What was he going to do? Was he going to lead a revolt? Was he going to uh, you know, bring a revolution? This would be his defining moment. And no doubt it would begin in Jerusalem. So he steps up, really, to the microphone. I want you to imagine what it would be like if all of the upcoming candidates that we've are hearing so much about if, if, if Mary in Iowa was going to be the center of everything, right over there in the square, and it was time for them to step up and say, okay, now I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm going to do. Even if you didn't particularly like that candidate, you'd want to listen to what they had to say. You'd want to know what their message was going to be. If this was their one big shot to tell everybody what they were going to do, you'd want to know, Right? Well, this is kind of like that for Jesus. All of this momentum had been building, and now he marches into Jerusalem. He's ready to tell everybody. So he stands up. And what does he say? The Son of the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And here's what he says. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Wow. Okay. Not a rally cry for revolution, but rather a call to death. His his own death. Really. Now make no mistake, Jesus came to start a revolution. But not through domination, but rather through submission. Not through strength, but through weakness. 
Now, can you imagine if a candidate stood up before us and said to the world, here's what I'm going to do if I'm elected. I'm going to make it really difficult on everybody. It's going to be tough. You're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to give. It's going to get worse before it gets better. There's no quick fix. And my job as your leader is not to give you stuff. In other words, the truth. Right? Can you imagine how unpopular that candidate would be? If they stood up and said, wow, there's a lot of work that has to be done. And we're going to all have to work and pitch in together. And, you know, we got to stop thinking about this whole idea of what do I get, what do I get, what do I get, and think about what can I sacrifice, what can I sacrifice, what can I sacrifice, right? That's not a popular message, is it? It wouldn't be today. And it wasn't in Jesus' day either. That's not what people wanted to hear from the guy who was, you know, stumping to be the Messiah. That's not a popular message. If there were a debate held between Jesus and another candidate for a Messiah, I'm pretty sure Jesus would have lost the popular debate. Because he doesn't stand up and say, look, here's how we win. He stands up and says, you got to lose everything. He doesn't stand up and say, here's how to get it all. He stands up and says, here's how to give it all. There was a man named Donald Craybill a few years ago. He wrote a book called uh, The Upside-Down Kingdom. And he talks about Jesus' upside-down kingdom. And his, his idea has to do with, with the way that the world works and the kingdoms of this world and how Jesus is completely upside-down. You know, the world's about winning, but Jesus says you win by lose, by losing. The world's about gaining, but Jesus says the upside-down kingdom is about gaining by giving. You know, the world's all about how do you live forever. But Jesus' upside-down kingdom is about life through death. You see, it's upside-down because it exhibits the absolute opposite traits of what the world says a person should do and what the world says a kingdom should be. Doesn't it? Now, recognize that we need to think like this way too. Because that's what following Jesus is all about. Following Jesus is not about a way to win in this world. But too many people think that that's what Jesus is for, right? We think that that Jesus is here to take our lives and help make them better, more successful, healthier, wealthier, stronger, more powerful, more pleasurable. All of this stuff that we have in our minds about what we want out of life, and we believe this idea that somehow Jesus has come to give that to us, right? To help us to win, right? So you have this picture in your mind of of your life, and, you you know, winning is important, right? So you're, you're, you're marching down the field of life, but when things get tough, now this is the narrative of American Christianity typically. When things get tough, you can hand the ball to Jesus, right? And as soon as you hand the ball to Jesus, everything parts and you can just walk right through, right? He'll pick you up on his back maybe and carry you through to the finish line. We have cute little, you know, poems about that, right? We, we have I, these ideas that Jesus has come to, to, to make us successful and make us win, I can do all things through Jesus, right? Who gives me strength. I used to see that on weight rooms, right? When, you know, you could bench 500 pounds if you love Jesus. 
You see what this is not quite matching up with his message. You see, this view of Jesus is revealed in our lives when we see ourselves as simply adding Jesus where he can kind of fit into our overcrowded, busy lives. We sometimes refer to this, refer to this as giving Jesus the leftovers. Well, here's the question I want to ask you this morning. If Jesus is getting the leftovers, where's everything else going? If he's getting your leftover time, then where's the rest of your time going? If he's getting the leftovers of your mental energy and your spiritual life, where's the rest of it going? If he's getting the leftovers of your treasures on earth, then where's the rest of it going, you see? Think about that. Think about that. Here's the point. Jesus is not for winning in this life. Jesus is for winning beyond this life. And he says, whoever is after what they can get out of this life will ultimately lose it. But he says, whoever loses it for his sake will find it. His hour of glory was coming. But for Jesus, glory wasn't about winning the world's way. For Jesus, his glory was in laying down his life. Then he says that if anyone wants to serve him, if anyone wants to be his disciple, if anyone wants to get on that discipleship pathway that we talk about here at Marian Methodist, then, then you have to go where he goes. You have to do what he does. You have to give what he gives. And in doing so, you have his glory too, the Bible says. So what does that look like for you? Is that the kind of glory you're pursuing? What would your life look like if you laid down the glory of this world to take up the glory of God? What changes would be made? What's currently happening in your life that reflects this type of glory? You see, recognize that's what God honors. He honors when men and women lay their lives down for His glory. You see, Jesus said that my, my soul was troubled when he thought about what he was going to have to go through in his hour of glory. It wasn't, oh, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome to be nailed to a cross. It's going to be so much fun. People are going to write songs about me. It's going to be great. They're going to they're put me on stained glass windows and make t-shirts. and It's going to be awesome. People are going to remember it forever. I can't wait. No, he said he was troubled by that, as as I think any of us would be. But then what he says next is interesting, isn't it? He says, but what do I do with that trouble? Do Do I ask the Father to save me from that? He says, no. No. I don't ask God to save me from the results of my discipleship. I want you to remember something. When... When Jesus began to tell his disciples about this death that he was going to die, they they didn't like it either. There's a a, a portion in Matthew's gospel where, you'll you'll see this, I'm going to put it on the screen, where Peter takes Jesus aside after Jesus talks about this death, and he, he takes him aside and he begins to rebuke Jesus, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you, meaning his crucifixion. We're not going to let this happen, Jesus, we'll stop it. And Jesus says, he turned to Peter, get behind me, Satan. That's pretty harsh language to call somebody, right? You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. 
See, here's the deal. When you have to lay your life down, it's going to be tough. But don't fight it. Don't resist it. Don't resent it. Recognize this is your moment of glory to serve Jesus. You see, this isn't the normal way, is it? Men and women want to avoid the way of Jesus. We want to be exalted, not humbled. We want to be served, not serve. We want power, not submission. But recognize this. Jesus has not come to bless our lives, to make them more successful. He's come to shatter our very understanding and definition of success and what it means. And look at what happens. He says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Speaking of His death, the way that Jesus draws us is not by power and violence done by Him. The way that Jesus draws us is through submission and violence done to Him. See, there's a big difference. It's a big difference. You know, there's a group marauding across the Middle East right now trying to attempt to to bring the world under submission to their God through violence done by them, right? And I've heard people say, oh, you Christians are no different, you know? You, you want everybody to do what you want to do. No, here's the difference, okay? Recognize this. The way of Christ is not to do violence against others in the name of Jesus. The way of Christ is that violence was done to Jesus. That's how He draws us. Not like this, but like this, you see. That's how He draws us. Is that how He drew you? Think about that question. Did you come to Jesus... Because of what He promised to do for you? Hey, if you vote for me, all your wildest dreams will come true, right? If you vote for me, I'll give you everything that you ever wanted. If you vote for me, it's going to be easy street. If you vote for me, I'll fix that problem in your life. If you vote for me, I'll find a way to make you rich. If you vote for me, you know, you'll have meaning and purpose and everything's going to be great. You'll have awesome friends and, and life will be great. Right? Is that what it means to vote for Jesus or to follow Jesus? Sometimes I wonder when I, you know, walk in the Christian bookstore and I look around at how many things are written towards Christians about how to have an awesome life. When I, when I, when I see what's the message that we eat up as Christians, it's all about what's God going to do for me? What's God going to do for my life? Did you go to Jesus because you were more concerned about what he's going to do for you? Have you missed what He's already done for you? See, there's a difference in focus, isn't there? If if I go to Jesus and I'm like, okay, Jesus, I'll follow you if you'll do this for me, then I'm really forgetting that He's already done that for me. You see what what I'm saying here? He says, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. He was indicating that he would draw us through his death, not through the promise of stuff and blessing. See, the blessing of Jesus is not what we think it is. The blessing of Jesus is the upside-down kingdom, you see. What has he done? He's drawn you to himself for the purpose of saving you. Now, the people standing there when Jesus said these words didn't understand at all what he meant. They couldn't grasp 
this type of Messiah. They couldn't grasp this type of kingdom. If he wasn't going to step up and take back the kingdom from the Romans, then he wasn't going to last as their Messiah. And Jesus explained to them, look, your chance to get what I'm doing here is almost over. Your chance to follow me and to see what I'm saying and to receive it is about done. Because you're going to have the light with you just a short amount of time and then I'm going to be gone and then you're going to be in big trouble. Isaiah talked about this. He, told, he talked about this, this prophetic thing where he said that, you know, you've got the light of God, but if you refuse to believe it, something happens inside your heart where now you can't anymore. It's kind of an interesting thing. Remember when Jesus talked about that? With, he said to the people, he said, the reason why you don't believe is because you're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep follow me. You don't hear my voice because you're not my sheep. And you say, well, how do I become a sheep? Look what Jesus said. He said, believe in me, and then you'll become a sheep. But your time with the light is limited. You don't know what tomorrow may bring. You don't know. So what's God trying to show you? And lastly, what are you doing with the light that he's revealed to you? What are you doing with that? You know, you're here today. You've got this opportunity. Now, maybe you're here because you have to be, because your kid's in confirmation and you've got to fulfill a requirement, or because someone made you be an usher, or because, you know, you had to run the soundboard, or because, you know, it's your job. Right? Whatever. Whatever reason you're here is the right reason. People say, oh, he goes to church for the wrong reason. There's no wrong reason, right? Unless you've come here to like physically hurt people. Whatever reason brought you here, we're glad you're here. Because now you're standing in the light of Christ. The question is, what are you going to do with it? Oftentimes, the reason why we got brought into something is not the reason why God brought us there, amen? Some people came to a bazaar yesterday looking for, for, for knickknacks, and they found a place where people, you know, showed them Christ. Right? Some kids come to fly lunches to get a sandwich, and they wind up learning that God loves them. I mean, there's a million reasons why people show up for something, but leave with something completely different. Amen? But you have to take advantage of that moment that you have in the light. You have to recognize that this is your time, because you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You might be too busy. You might have something come up. You might get sick. You might get hit by a bus. I don't know. But here's what Jesus says. When you have the light, walk in it. So what are you doing with the light that he's revealed to you? You know, some of the people believed in Jesus, but they were afraid to declare it because they feared what other people thought of them. And they didn't want to be judged. But then Jesus replied that everyone ultimately is judged. We're judged by the words of Jesus who spoke the word of God. Now you're judged here in your circumstance. Maybe others. And Remember this. Someday you're going to stand before God. Not your peers. And God's going to look at you. And you're going to want to know, man, did I stand in that light long enough to follow it? Did I stay there? Because here's the thing, Jesus promises that light all the time, but you've got to follow it, you see. The light's moving. And if you stand in one spot and go, hmm, I don't know what I should do about that, pretty soon the light's moved on. 
But if you get behind the light, you follow it, man, it never goes out. It never goes out. This upside down kingdom thing that we're talking about here is huge. Because you want to know something? We're living in it right now. And Jesus has said to us, look, here's the deal. Take what you have and watch what happens when you do it my way. You see, it's amazing what can happen with a little seed that gets planted in the ground. The seed ceases to exist, but a big tree grows, right? That's ministry. That's discipleship. That's how stuff gets done in the kingdom of God. It doesn't just happen, right? It happens because people like you and people like me lay ourselves down. Ministry in the church doesn't just happen. The lights don't just turn on. The, 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 the choir doesn't just sing. Someone had to get up here on a Wednesday night and rehearse. Someone had to, had to, to put something in the plates to, to pay the bill. Someone had to show up yesterday to, to make the food. Someone had to, to do what they had to do so that we could do ministry in this world, you see. And if you follow Jesus, he stands before you and he says, Look, everything that I'm asking you to lay down, it's, it's, it's a sacrifice, yes, and it can hurt, yes. But man, it's the most amazing moment of your glory that you'll ever have. So, so in just a minute, Kirk's going to come up here and he's going to talk about the financial situation of the church. Now, I don't want you to do the whole, uh-oh, are they asking for our money? You know what? Here's the deal. We're not asking for your money, okay? We don't care about your money, okay? Now they're getting nervous, right? Kirk's like, what? I'm the finance chair. Don't say that. What we care about is your heart. What we care about is, do you have what it takes to take that seed that God's given you and lay it down? Do you have what it takes to, to lose what you have in this life for his sake? I promise you this, if we would just do that, if that was our mindset, then we'd never have to worry about finances in this church ever again. You know, there'd be more shoeboxes than people would know what to do with. Because remember, if we're giving Jesus the leftovers, where's the rest of it going? See, the idea is this. To stop chasing the glory of the, of the world that our stuff and money can buy and to chase the glory of God that comes to us when we lay it all down. Amen? He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. I pray today that you've been drawn to Jesus. Because when you are drawn to him, you'll walk in the light. All right, let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the light that you give to us. We thank you for, God, this upside-down kingdom. And, Lord, it, it, in our lives, it intersects with us in so many strange ways. But, God, I pray that today we'd recognize that you've called us to something much more glorious than winning in this world. So, God, let our hearts be laid open before you. Let your light shine on us so that we can walk in it, so that we can lose everything we have in this life for your sake. So, God, we can receive so much more. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.